Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul too and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us, step up, and while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome everyone to today's fireside chat with Hannah Gordon. Named by NFL.com as one of the most influential women in football, Hannah is the Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel of the San Francisco 49ers. Her new book, Seasons of Change, The Competitor's Playbook for Joy on the Path to Victory, just launched in November. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you. So Hannah, we like to start at the beginning. How did you get into the sports industry to begin with? And how did you get into your role today? We know it's very rarely a linear straight path, but tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I really fell in love with football in college. I was the first uh, female football beat writer for the UCLA Daily Bruin. And I think sometimes when you find your calling or your calling finds you, you just know. And so I knew at 19 that football was where I wanted to stay. Um, and so from there, I was really just hustling to stay in it because it's such a competitive industry. So I did a lot of internships um, at the players union, at universities, at Octagon, um, and then ultimately decided to go to law school, um, really to get myself back into sports, but with more of an executive track, because um, I had been working mostly in media and PR until then. Um, worked briefly at a firm, um, then ended up at the NFL League office in New York for a couple of years, and I was recruited from there to come to the 49ers, and I'm now in my 10th season. What a story. Did you um, grow up loving sports? No. So this is the irony. I did not. Um, I was a dancer growing up and really it was my homesickness at UCLA. I'm from Oakland, California, which is not that far. It's about a five hour, six hour drive, depending how fast you drive. And when you're 19. But culturally, it's like a world away. Oh, a world away. So I felt very homesick. I was, you know, dark hair, fair skin, like ponytail, no makeup from the Bay Area. Everybody was blonde, blue-eyed, tan, um, had expensive velour sweatsuits. Um, and so I really just lost myself in sports, watching tons of sports um, and saw Hannah Storm hosting the halftime show during the NBA playoffs and thought, well, that looks like a really fun job. Like I want to just have witty repartee with other people about sports and whatever else. Um, how do I get that job? And that really is what led me first to the paper. I love that. What a great story. Um, so I imagine like all of us, you face challenges throughout your career and especially again, as a woman in the business of sports, how did you overcome, what are a couple of those challenges and maybe how did you overcome those? Yeah, I, you know, I think that for all of us who are women in business, um, 
we all face challenges. And sometimes I don't know how different mine may or may not be because I really spent pretty much my entire adult life and career in sports um, where I usually am the only female in a room in many of the jobs that I've had. Um, and I think that the biggest obstacle in my mind is actually that more subtle, just not being part of the club. I think when I was very young, um, it was a little, in some ways, easier. I think that if there was discrimination, it was often more blatant. Um, and I also, I had such a strong, you know, youthful drive to prove everybody wrong and make it. Um, and then as you hit kind of that more executive level in your career, um, you're like, wait, I'm still not invited to the golf outing. Like, oh, I, I'm still not on that text group text chain that you guys are all laughing about. Um, and so I think honestly, those are the most difficult obstacles. I think again, especially as we're in that sea level. Um, and in terms of how you overcome them, some of it is just accepting that I'm not gonna continue to give all of my mental energy to whether or not I was on the group text chain um, because I know the quality of my work. I know that it can't be denied. Um, and it, whether or not we're best friends, I'm still going to be you know, successful here. I think the other thing that we have to do is still be really smart about how the game works. Um, and so understanding, you know, I, maybe I'm not gonna be on the golf outing, but I can ask somebody out to lunch. Just understanding what is the political milieu where you are um, and kind of who do you need to know in order to do the things that you want to do? Who needs to be your strategic partners in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish? I love that. And just making a decision of which battles you pick um, to fight. I heard this saying the other day, the lion doesn't give its roar for the dog who barks. And I think that's so important, especially, you know, in positions of mentoring other women coming up, um, which kind of brings me to the next question. What advice do you have specifically for women who are sitting at tables where they are either one of few or the only? Yeah, I think the first thing is always that we have to know the quality of our work product, right? So we do need to be our best. Um, and then secondly, we have to have confidence in that work product, whatever it is and whatever you have to say that you need to deliver that message um, with conviction because, you know, sharks smell blood. So like you, you do dogs smell fear, like you do have to protect that whether you feel it or not. And then I think the last thing, which ties back to what we were just talking about, is also accepting that not everyone at the table is going to like you. Um, I think being okay with not being liked is something that's very difficult for many of us as women because we have been culturally raised to please other people and to see our value as other people finding us attractive, finding us nice, wanting to be our friend, inviting us to the birthday party. Um, and you do have to let go of some of that. It's not that you are trying to irritate anyone, but if you spend all of your emotional energy on that one person who's never going to like you, and I had this happen when I worked at the league office, there was one person who really did not like me um, and didn't like a lot of people. Um, and I took it so personally for many months. I just tried everything I could to get him to like me. Um, and it was actually one of my aunts who gave me the best advice. She said, that man's never gonna like you. You need to pay tracks on his back. And I was like, oh goodness, that doesn't sound nice. And eventually I realized she was actually right. He was never going to like me. I had expended a lot of energy that I didn't need to expend um, and I needed to just move on. Yeah. 
on the confidence piece, you know, when you're feeling like you are, you know, the only in the room, do you just advocate for, well, one, do you advocate for advocating for yourself? But two, is it also a matter of kind of faking it till, you know, faking the confidence? Because if you're not feeling it, it's, um, it's hard sometimes. It is. And I think there's a few things that we can do. There's like the little simple things, you know, you can go in the bathroom and do your power pose. Um, you can take deep breaths, like before you're going to do public speaking in front of the room or anything like that. Um, I'm a big believer in affirmation. So I'd say, you know, when you get up in the morning, I want you to either say to yourself in the mirror, or write down like, you know, I'm a badass. I belong in this room. I'm going to kill this meeting today. Whatever it is, it's kind of going to get you pumped. Um, so those are a few of like the little things, but I do think that some of it also is about our recovery practice. And I know we're going to talk a little more about this later, but it's about the people that you have around you. So I think it's very important to keep girlfriends around you, um, who are going to be your safe place to go, who are going to be that community and sanctuary for you. Um, so that when you do have that bad meeting, you can just kind of be like, I need to talk to you about this. Like, I feel terrible today. And, and those are also going to be the people who help rebuild your confidence. Absolutely. So Hannah, what has football taught you about your own personal and professional development? It's taught me so much. I mean, honestly, I, I truly believe that the lessons of football are applicable to everyone, including women, including women in business. Um, and I think one of the most core lessons for me, which is the first week of the book, is really all about film study. Um, players watch themselves. They go back and they dissect what went right, what went wrong. They really get to know their own strengths and weaknesses. And I think um, that's something that has really served me well um, over my career. And it can be both personally. And then also, I think it's really important in our work to go back and kind of like tabletop it, right? Like what went right, what went wrong on all the projects that we're working on. So I think it's really applicable um, both in business and in our personal lives. So what made you write a book? Your book, Season of Change, what made you take a, um, a leap, I would imagine, and get out there to write a book? Yeah, I would say um, sometimes part of it is just like, what are we called to do? Like there was just a calling on me, like you need to write this and now is the time to do it. Um, I think also part of it- By the way, you wrote it before the pandemic. I did, I did. And it just happens to come out during a pandemic, which is, you know, good and bad. Um, the good part of it is I think everyone's in a space right now where it's a space of self-reflection. Um, and also we're about to enter a new year. And so it's a wonderful time to kind of start something. If you wanted to start something, this is a great way to start the first eight weeks of the year. Um, so yeah, I, it's funny because when it first kind of hit me that I needed to do this now, I had always thought like I would eventually write a book um, or multiple books, but it was also the getting over our fear. Um, and so it was a great test, right? Like, can you face the fear that like somebody might not like it? that not everyone might support your dream, that some people might say, who do you think you are to do this? Um, and I think that's one of the things that's hardest for all of us is when people, especially people whose opinion we care about, have either overtly or covertly through their actions tell us, who do you think you are? Um, and I think it's really important to kind of step into that. And so for me, some of it was just, all right, this is an exercise in facing fear. Um, and 
the impetus really was also that at the time when we all used to be able to get together, um, I was giving a lot of keynote talks, but when people would ask me to come give a keynote, I would think, oh, but I just like having conversations with people. Like, I, I don't want to talk at you. Um, and also I like giving exercises to people because I can't have a one-on-one -on -one with all 300 people in the room. Um, but I love exercises in part because, um, and there's actually a TED talk on this, that like when you go hear a speech and you walk away and you think, oh, this is great, this changed my life. It usually doesn't because you don't have a way to implement it on a consistent basis for a long enough period of time. And so I really felt like, okay, I wanna give people something that they can actually use. Um, and for me, it was, okay, I think eight weeks is a long enough time to actually create these habits. Um, and if I give you just like 10 minutes a day, then we can really make some real changes more so than me talking to you for 45 minutes at, at an event. Um, so that's why I wrote the book. We love it. You're speaking our language for sure. Yes. So, um, so on that, um, in the book, if, if you could explain why journaling specifically is so important and how is that helpful in creating this roadmap and then accomplishing the goals that you're, you've set? Sure. So I think journaling is important for a couple of reasons. Um, in terms of goal setting, I'm going to get to that next, but on a sort of more specific or personal level first, I think probably all of us on this call, we are fortunate to already be women in business. We have access to a lot of resources. However, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. So I'm also a big believer in the power of journaling because it is the only tool that is really available to everyone that is free um, that requires no training and that doesn't require you to talk to anyone else if you're not ready to. Um, and so it also then becomes a great place, not only for processing things like trauma, but also for developing your dreams. Because oftentimes when that dream is just a seed, it may be too soon to go tell that person who says, who do you think you are, right? That might actually kill your dream in its seedling phase. Um, and so to get to kind of the power of word to create your action plan, um, putting words to think where I'm a huge believer um, in the words of, you know, my answer that words are things, they are powerful, they get in us, they get in our carpets and our clothes and our homes, right? Like they have their own power. And so you want to use words carefully, both when you're speaking, but also on the page. Um, because once you can see something, you can actually visualize it on a page in words, it becomes much more actionable. And it also holds you accountable because then it's there looking back at you. Um, so I think that's why journaling is really powerful for creating our action plans and our game plans. Wow, I have goosebumps. Um, <laughs> we could just end there. And I think that would be so much to take away. You know, I, um, I wholeheartedly agree in, in the meaning and the power of words. And, you know, it, it goes even to its most simple of when you, um, put something down on paper or even just say it out loud, it's it's true then. And so, you know, you can't deny that that is your goal. If you've written it down in paper, it's it's that, um, it's speaking to you, it's calling you, as you said. And I was gonna ask whether you always journaled, but it sounds like it was something that you developed as a habit, as a way to process some um, painful experiences. Yeah, well, um, I journaled before that um like even before I was really ready to process that I've journaled I found like my early journals from when I was like eight um it's this you know cute little pink leather bound journal um so yeah I've always found it to be a useful tool but definitely I think I use it in a much more specific and directed way as an adult mm -hmm. so for someone who's new to um 
the habit of journaling. Um, you know, other than going and buying your book, which we will definitely recommend everyone does, but what are some kind of quick tips, prompts of like, what sort of questions should you be asking, asking and putting, putting to paper? So I think journaling is a lot like uh, going to the gym. Um, so when people are like, ah, but I've never done it before, I don't know. So I think there's two things that really help. One is blocking time for it. Um, and so actually I'm gonna say three things. Number one, blocking time mm -hmm. out of your calendar. Number two, accountability partners. Um, so I definitely recommend like have, have somebody else who's also doing it with you. You don't have to share what you wrote down, um, but just know that you have somebody who can be like, Hey, did you journal every day this week? Um, also I am going to be putting out sometime later this month, a group guide. So if you do want to do it in a book group, um, you can have check-ins at the end of every week or two weeks or four weeks, however you want to structure it. Um, and then also on IG live starting January, uh, Monday, I guess that's January like 3rd. I'm going to do a live every morning for that first eight weeks. So if you want to do it as a group, you can just join that IG live um, or watch it on the story. Um, so that accountability partners is the second piece. Um, and then the third piece is, you know, I feel much better going to the gym if I have a new sports bra and, you know, new shoes, right? So get yourself either, whether it's this book and like maybe I have friends who did like got colored pens to do it with. Um, but make sure that your materials are something you enjoy. So if you're going to do free writing in a journal, get a journal that you like using. Everyone's different about what they like to use. Um, I often enjoy like a spiral bound. Some people like a hard bound. Everybody's different. Um, so just get something that you really can enjoy using and maybe create some space in your house that you like to do it in. Awesome. Those are great tips. So it sounds like journaling is a big part of how you um, realize your goals. Definitely. Yes. It, how do you sort of set into um, set into motion an actionable plan, though, for your your goals, but also for your vision? Yeah. So I think that's kind of why the order is the way that it is. So week one is that film study, because there is no purpose in trying to create your vision without first figuring out who am I? What what are my strengths and weaknesses? What do I like and dislike? where am I today and where have I been? Like we can't see where we're going clearly until we know where we are and where we've been. Um, so you need to do that first. And from there, I think the vision really comes very naturally um, because once you start thinking about those things that just prompts like, oh, like what I truly, like what I would do if I didn't think I was too old or too broke or, or out of shape or whatever is X, Y, Z. Um, and once you kind of allow yourself to break those boundaries, um, that vision starts to become clear. And then once we write out that vision, that's when we get to game plan, right? Because there's no point in creating a, an, a, an action plan to get somewhere that you're actually not sure about where it is you're trying to go, right? Um, like you don't want to head very fast in no direction. Uh, <laughs> you want to know where we're, where we're going on this journey. Um, and so from there, it's all about, you know, researching. Okay, if, if my goal is to be the CEO of Netflix, how do I achieve that? And we start doing that research. Like, who are the people I need to talk to? What are the steps that I need to take? Do I have the right experience? And from there, that's how we can put together the next steps. So you mentioned when you started writing the book or thought to write the book, you, it sounds like there may have been some, some negative feedback or there were some hurdles that you had to get over in your own head too. Um, how, how have you been able to gather both good and bad feedback or negative feedback, I should say, and figure out which is 
you know, just sort of noise that you should be ignoring and what is really constructive that you can use to help you get better and move forward. Yeah, so this is another place where football really taught me these lessons, right? So in week five, we do what we call reading your clips. Um, so in sports, um, we often sort of joke about reading your clips. Should you do it? Should you not, right? Should you read what the newspapers are saying about you? And the reality is all of us, even if we're not famous athletes, we are all receiving constant incoming information of other people's thoughts, feelings, opinions about us. And we have to decide proactively, hopefully, um, what we're going to do with that information. Um, so one category of information is warm fuzzies, right? The things that feel good when people give you positive feedback. Um, and that has a good place um, as long as we're not relying on it for validation. And the three tougher pieces are the negative feedback. And so I think of them in three categories, um, which is constructive criticism, bulletin board material, and noise. So constructive criticism, the way that I know that it's constructive is that deep down in my heart, I actually know that what you said is true. And I think that oftentimes we're just not honest with ourselves. Like when we're like, oh, I can't believe he said that to me. Um, we really need to like take a moment and decide like, can I not believe that he said that to me because it's so far off base and, and has nothing to do with me? In which case I probably wouldn't be upset about it. Um, or is it like, Ooh, like that one kind of hit deep. Like I kind of, I kind of know that I am like that. And I know that in every review I've had, et cetera, like if I'm really being honest with myself, I know what's constructive and what's not. Now it may not be framed by the other person in a constructive way. It may be said in an extremely hurtful way. Um, but we really, I think when we're, again, when we take that time to know ourselves, we know what's true and what's not. So we take the constructive criticism and we figure out what's the teachable moment here, what's the lesson, I'm gonna take that and let go of whatever other emotion is there. Um, and then the other two, bulletin board material and noise. Bulletin board material I think of as things that aren't there to teach you, but they can motivate and fuel you. Um, so when somebody says, oh, are you so-and-so's secretary? It, that doesn't have a teachable piece of information to it, but it does make me like kind of be like, mm, I can't wait to prove you wrong. Um, and then there's noise, um, which is stuff that you really actually need to tune out because it has no teachable value. Um, and it's probably just kind of eating away at you because it's so negative. Um, and so those are the pieces where I don't feel fueled. I, I just feel depleted. And so then I know, okay, I need to just push that away. That That's noise. And realizing the difference, is that that, like, do you feel a real physical sense of triggering or that's like, oh, okay, wait. I know that hit somewhere deep inside of me. Um, yes, I love that you brought up actually the physical aspect of this because I'm a big believer that like you are one being in one system. And I think it's wonderful that we talk now about mental health, but it's important to understand that that's just part of our total health, um, that they are interconnected. Like my brain does not exist outside of my body, not relating to my muscles and my nerves and all these other things, right? I am one person. Um, and so I think the more attuned we become um, to the connection between our mind and body, um, and whether that's through yoga or meditation or breathing or journaling or anything else, or just doing a body scan, then it becomes so much easier to, to figure all these things out. You're not confused anymore about like, was that constructive criticism or was it noise? Because you can feel it in your own body and you know what that means because you've been paying attention to oh, it, if I am anxious, I can feel that my chest is starting to tighten. Or, oh, when I am sad, 
I can feel that my whole body feels a little heavier. Like whatever it is for you, the more you know that about yourself, the easier it is to decipher sort of everything that's happening. And then the less health problems we have throughout our entire lives, because we don't hit, I think as women, sometimes we are going so hard that we like hit a wall and just completely burn out. And that's because we haven't been paying attention to our bodies. Like if you pay attention to yourself, then you don't reach those points where you completely collapse because you knew three weeks ago, you were like, Ooh, I think I need, I need to spot it. Like, like I need to check in with myself here. Um, So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So it sounds like you've gotten pretty good at developing, um, you know, a resilience in terms of the, you know, not absorbing and, and really carrying the weight of feedback and, um, and that noise. How have you developed grit and mental toughness, but without becoming kind of, um, you know, developing a callus either? That is such a good question. Um, so I think of this as like uh, putting the armor on and taking it off. Like, <clears throat> how do we remain big hearted leaders um, while still being resilient? Um, in terms of like, how do you develop mental toughness? I think a lot of it is through practice. Um, so there's a Cardi B song I love called Get Up 10. And the chorus is, knock me down nine times, but I get up 10. Um, and I do think that is how m- most of us <laughs> develop mental toughness is simply through getting back up every time, right? Because every time you do it, it's easier. Um, like every hurdle you face should be a more challenging hurdle um, because every time you make it and get up, you go, oh, well, if that happens again, it's not even gonna bother me. And now I can face something bigger. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I just lost the end of your question. Um, so the, the, the follow-up to that question is, you know, how do you not take mental toughness too far Right. And retain, as you said, an open heart as a, as a leader in particular, especially in 2020. Yes. Um, and I think that comes back to being super attuned to ourselves because mental toughness is not about being cruel to ourselves. Um, mental toughness is really about getting back up and then being kind to ourselves, right? Saying like, okay, that sucked. That was hard. Um, maybe you need a nap today. Um, but tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'm going to go back at it. Like I'm not going to give up. Um, and so I think how you remain big hearted, um, while developing that mental toughness is that you're kind to yourself. And when you're kind to yourself, you will inevitably be kind to others. So we I think have we're a- going to need to have a part two conversation with you, Hannah, <laughs> get some more of your tactics. Cause I feel like we've only just started. We just scratched the surface for sure. So we have one question for the audience, just following up on um, what strategies do you use to push away that hurtful feedback and not dwell on it? Do you have things that you tap into? Sure. So one thing I do is write. Um, so it's, Honestly, even if you have a piece of paper in your office, maybe you're not in your office anymore, I would have a, you know, the experience where somebody said something to me, it really bothered me. I'm not able to shake it right now. And I need to get back to work for a meeting in half an hour. I would literally close the door to the office, grab a piece of paper and start writing like, I hate him. I can't believe he said this to me. Like, this is what he said. This is how it made me feel. And amazingly, that's often all the release you needed was just to get it out on paper and then you can let it go. 
Um, and then I would just shred that up into little tiny pieces. And it also actually feels good to shred it up in addition to the fact that you don't want to have like a hairy at the spy moment. Um, <laughs> somebody find that. Um, and so that's one. Um, another is deep breathing. Um, so the other thing, if you need to go to the meeting in two minutes and you don't have time to write it down, you shut the door and you go like, all right, I'm going to do 10 deep breaths. Um, and it's amazing how much that will also kind of like remove that. And like we talked about having your girlfriends, right? There is a time to go complain, but you also need to know that like, once you have like pushed it out there, you talk to your girlfriends, you've written it down. It is time to not allow yourself to continue to obsess over it. So you're not going to journal about it every day for the next two weeks, right? Like you're going to be like, okay, I did that. I let it out. I felt how it felt in my body. Cause again, if we're denying how it feels in our body, that's often why it's not coming out, right? It's staying with us because we haven't actually like recognized and acknowledged for ourselves. Like, oh, okay. It's okay that you feel mad. It's okay. That, that feels like a knot in your stomach. Like that's completely understandable. And then that helps it just release. That's such a great simple tactic to do the writing and the shredding i love in particular well it's very physical right so you get it out and then you just get to tear it up i like that so last question um as we're nearing the end of a um tumultuous year and hopefully 2021 will be less tumultuous but why is self-care critical to you and how do you specifically practice it? What sort of rituals do you have other than journaling, which sounds like it's a, a ritual for you? Yeah, I do think recovery or self-care, however you want to call it, is really important. And again, as we learn lessons like from football, from sports, from athletes, no professional athlete is like lifting max weight seven days a week in the gym. Like that's not- That's such a great- um distinction and just using the word recovery all of a sudden makes it not feel so self-indulgent as well right yeah so i i love the word recovery it's the word that certainly we use in sports when we're talking about like for example like you may have um two days where you're doing conditioning or whatever and then you will have a day of what we call active recovery um and so i love to have active recovery days for myself right and just like it may be with our athletes or maybe with me, that may be a day where you do yoga, right? That may be a day where you do stretching. Um, for, for all of us who have, you know, mentally taxing jobs, that may be a day where you have a more severe limit on screen time or you have a day away from social media. Um, like those may be part of your recovery practices. I know for me, in terms of recovery practices, um, getting outside has been really important during the pandemic um, because we can just be in our home all the time. Um, so I'm lucky that I live in California, but I do try to get outside every single day, even if it's just to take a walk around the block, um, just to, like see the sunshine, get that vitamin D, get a little fresh air. Um, exercise um, is something that I find, again, that mind-body connection, um, whether it's a hard workout, an easy workout, just moving in some way every day um, can be really good for your recovery. Um, and then fun, you know, it's important to have fun. And like, for you, that might be, you know, watching stand-up comedy on Netflix with your husband, or it might be, you know, I know it's hard to see your girlfriends, but maybe it is like a Zoom with your girlfriends. Like for me before the pandemic, like going to a concert or taking a trip was something that was recovery. Because also it's not just, you know, how do I do it within my daily life, but every year, like we do all need to kind of unplug for some period of time, right? So you can have recovery both in like a small Maybe it's 20 minutes in the course of a day. Maybe it's a day in the course of a month. And then maybe it's two weeks that you need to take off in the course of a year. 
Thank you, Hannah. This was such um, an interesting and enjoyable conversation today. Thank you. So glad to be with you today. Yeah, really, thank you. And I think we're definitely going to have to get you back for part two because we only scratched the surface and would love to chat more with you. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on publishing your book. What a huge feat and wishing you nothing but health and happiness in the new year. And for everyone listening, remember to always step up and reach down. And as always, we'll see you back on the platform. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.